We're going to continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount tonight, um, but we're just going to take on six verses. I want to be able to um, make sure that we have some time uh, to focus in prayer tonight for Saturday and for just all the goings on of what what is happening this week. So uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. We're almost through the Sermon on the Mount, huh? It's really cool that we've been able to do this together, and um, I have been blessed by the studying of it and the just processing the application for myself. I hope that the Lord is, that you're blessed by the time that we've been able to spend going through it as well, and that the Lord has been speaking to your heart and, and drawing you near to Him through it, through the study of His Word, but also uh, shaping your life as a, as a disciple of His, and so... Tonight, we're going to, um, I titled the message, Seeing Clearly, and um, let's read our passage together. Be there in Matthew chapter 7? Say amen. 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 Awesome. All right, let's read. It says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that, the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. They will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Awesome verse to end on there. Um, so the main point tonight is not to judge or to be critical so that we will not fall into judgment. We will be judged, as Jesus said, the same way that we judge others. Using the same standard that we use. And so judgment begins with us when we are observing in a critical way the small thing in a brother's life or a sister's life. This concentration upon this thing leads us to confronting that person with our correction, with our wisdom, all the while at fault ourselves. And the exhortation is to prepare ourselves to see clearly that we might be a benefit to others as well. So let's look at our passage tonight as we go through each verse and kind of break things down. Verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. This is one of many do nots that Jesus uh, teaches through his Sermon on the Mount. And last week we were going through and he said, Don't, do not worry. And we've talked previously before that of, of serving two masters and serving mammon. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is he's giving guidance to his disciples on what not to do. And one thing that was displayed for them from the religious leaders at that time was this confronting other people about the, uh, 
their inability to keep the laws or different things. They would come after you and point out, well, you're doing this wrong or you're doing this wrong. This was the example of many of the religious leaders. And, and Jesus had some harsh words that we'll look at uh, confronting these, um, these leaders of the day. But Jesus is instructing his disciples, do not judge so that you will not be judged. That's the reason. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, we want to kind of dig into this word judge a little bit more. You know, judge is a habit. This is a definition of censoriousness. What a word, huh? Don't worry, I'll define that one too. Sharp, unjust criticism. Our word critic is from this very word. It means to separate, distinguish, or discriminate. That is necessary, but prejudice or prejudgment is unfair. Capitus, criticism. So, you know, dictionaries sometimes will give you all these words. You've got to look up the other words that they just gave you. Censoriousness meant, if I'm even, I hope I'm saying it right, but uh, means hypercritical overcritical, severely critical, disapproving, fault-finding. It's an intentional looking for something wrong in another person. And Jesus is exhorting and he is teaching his disciples not to be this way. This is the example that was set for them by the religious leaders of the day. And he's saying, that's not how it's going to work in my kingdom. That's not how my disciples operate. In uh, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And we have an example of this unjust judgment in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. If you want to turn there with me, we'll read through that. Matthew 26, starting in verse 6, just a few or six verses here. It says, And Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flax, a very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil may have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done this good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You kind of see what the example is of unjust judgment. They were judging her actions without knowing her heart. And that's just an example of unjust judgment. But Jesus is telling us, do not judge so you will not be judged. 
in what way will we not be judged? Well, he goes on to clarify a little bit further in verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, this is the principle to understand. Judgment will be delivered to us based on the measure that we use for others. So for ultra-critical to others, if we're um, looking for fault-finding in others, it's going to happen for us. It may happen in this life, but it also will, we're going to be held accountable by God as well. We'll still stand before him and account for what we have done in this life. Um, David Gutzig, Pastor David Gutzig commented on this saying, Jesus did not prohibit the judgment of others. He only requires that our judgment be completely fair and that we only judge others by a standard we would like to be judged by. So there is the need to be able to look at somebody and make a judgment. But if it's really the heart behind it, and we'll get into that a little bit further. And also, to what standard are we judging others? Are we judging others to a different standard than we judge ourselves? Are we going to go more leniently upon ourselves and be more hypercritical to others? So before judging another person, let us remember that we too will be judged. We will stand before the Lord, as it says in Romans 14.10, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that context, Paul was, they were discussing foods being eaten or things being drank by other Christians that, uh, you know, this was a church that was mixed up of Jews and Gentiles. And, and they started to judge each other. Why are they over there doing that? Why are they eating this? Why, you know, they're being critical about each other. But Paul had to remind them, we're all going to stand before Christ in his judgment seat. And we'll have to give an account. Where are you at before Christ? That's the question. So Jesus goes on with an illustration. And it's a, an exaggerative illustration here. Let's look at what he says here. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Okay, Jesus, I see what you're doing here. You're creating a, a really exaggerative picture right here. He's using hyperbole to get the attention. So to look at, in this verse, describes gazing, gazing at, fixing our eyes upon. So when you're looking at your brother, it's something you're, you're fixed on. You can't get it out of your head. Oh, I... I see what's going on in his life. I need to keep going. Is that, is that what's going on? You know, you're just kind of looking. And then you see another obstruction division in the brother's eye, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a speck. Well, that word speck is best described like a splinter. It is a shard of wood. But how many of you had splinters before? I think that probably everybody's getting one at some point. You know, you can get really bad ones that just, I, I, you know, you get one underneath your fingernail. Oh, oh. I know. Everyone cringes because it's probably happened at some point. And you're just like, oh, you know, 
but it's the smallest little thing. It is an irritant, right? It needs to get out. It could cause infection. It is a problem. But it's not, in comparison to Jesus' illustration, a log sticking through your eye. A log actually was more descriptive of the cross beam that runs down the center of the building. You see the main beam? Now, this one's probably fake and has casings all over it. But on a real, like, you know, timber-framed building, you'd have the cross beam all the running down the center, and then all the other beams lean up against it. So Jesus is using this example of the largest, strongest beam in a building being in the eye of the one beholding the splinter in the other. And what a caricaturized picture, you know? It's just very exaggerative. It, it would have been the log, lo, strongest, largest beam in the house, carrying the load of everything around it. But what goes unnoticed? The log in the viewer's eyes. The greater issue is of the viewer, the one gazing into the brother. He doesn't stop to consider himself. He is focused on the other person's small issue. And Jesus is using this outrageous example to make his point. Take heed to yourself. Make sure you have not the greater issue before pointing out the issue in your brother or your sister. Take heed to yourself. The, the life of a disciple is one that is reflective upon your standing before God. Because you will give an account unto him. You won't give an account for the behavior of somebody else. You will give an account for how you behaved before him. Now, this saying could have been a, a proverb of the day. This idea of the, the splinter in the uh, eye and the log in the other person's eye. Uh, kind of like our people who live in glass houses shouldn't be throwing stones. You know, we're familiar with that one. So uh, there's a, um, an inscription or writing somewhere by a, a guy named Horace in, in antiquity that says, So you, when you can so readily overlook your own wickedness, why are you more clear-sighted than, an, than the eagle or serpent of uh, Epidaurus in spying out the failings of your friend? It's kind of interesting how similar that is to Jesus' words. The saying was actually a common one among the Jews. You know, when you overlook your own wickedness, but are able to clearly see it in other people, it's, it's kind of a humorous thing, but not at the same time. And so Jesus utilizes this illustration in two ways. Look at verse 4 with me. Actually, let's read verse 3 again. It says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Why do you look? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. Two things I want to draw attention to here. Jesus' illustration shows the man judging as gazing at the splinter in his brother's eye. And then he, what gazing will then lead from, or lead to, I'm sorry, is confronting the brother. Let me take that speck out for you. You start to, when you're gazing at the fault in somebody else, you start ignoring or start overlooking your own faults. 
and then think you're the answer for that brother or that sister. Think your wisdom will fix their situation. If we're focused on the minute shortcomings of others in our lives, we will ultimately either talk about them to somebody else or we will talk to them about the issue. Yet, what the man in this story never noticed was his own issue, was his own sin, because he was so concerned about his brother. And the one doing the correcting without first checking themselves actually looks a greater fool and a hypocrite. That's the term that Jesus uses. And Jesus says, or not Jesus, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. And so we're exhorted not to make these critical judgments of others, and, and, but yet be praying for people, be searching our own hearts, because Jesus' words are strong to those that are going after others and, and with a critical nature, a critical heart. He says, you hypocrite, in verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus gives, this is where helping a brother is not what Jesus is condemning. What Jesus is condemning in this situation is hypocrisy. And that the disciple be right for the ministry, the ministering to the other person. He says, don't play the actor. Jesus talked about hypocrisy um, previously in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, they like to do their righteous deeds to be seen by men. They like to do their righteous, or they acted piously, but they only cared about the praise of men. And here we see the hypocrite is concerned about the small issues in other people's lives than, and overlooking their own issues. Helping others was never the concern, just the appearance of it. I think that's the heart that Jesus is getting at. It was all for show. He's been showing this. That's why he uses the term hypocrite as an act. Their concern for other people was just to make themselves look better. And whatever they could do to overlook their own sin was centered upon helping other people out with theirs. It was an act of superiority. And Jesus he has some strong words for him in, in Matthew 23, um, a couple of, Matthew 23, 25, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. He says in verse 27 of the same chapter, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Jesus, our Savior, God in the flesh, looking straight through the exterior of these judgmental, um, well, righteously appearing religious leaders, and he calls them for what they are. This is the importance for us to understand. If we go to Jesus and we sit before him, we sit before his word, open and looking clearly in the mirror, comparing ourselves to the mirror of God's word, he will reveal what is truly going on within us. He will be the one that will bring it to surface where it can be dealt with. If we ignore it, if we decide we don't want to spend time in God's word because there's so much conviction or we don't want to go into the congregation because they're just a bunch of hypocrites and, you know, like the excuse is often used. I don't want to be in that place because I'll be convicted. Then we'll just build upon self-righteousness more and more. We have to be in a place where God can put his finger on things. And that's in his word, in the congregation, and where his word is being taught. Spending time with him. Jesus is saying that to truly help another, we need to be able to clearly see. And to see clearly means that we must make sure we are seeing correctly first. This passage does not teach that judgment should never be made. Even later on, um, or actually in verse 5, remember, it says, it does speak of removing the speck from your brother's eye. The Lord's point was that a person should not be habitually critical or condemnatory of a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when he has a plank in his own. Though judgment is sometimes needed, those making the distinction or making the judgment must first be certain of their own lives. And how can we be certain? By spending time before the Lord. By spending time with him. You see, you might see something in a brother or sister and feel compelled to speak to them. And then the thought comes to mind, well, I can't. I've, I have the same issue. And that's good, right? That's good that you recognize that. That's the spirit pointing this out to you. We can deal with it, deal with our shortcomings before the Lord. We can have those taken care of before we can go and minister. But maybe the Lord has delivered you from a sin or you see it and you see a brother or sister heading in that direction and you think, I I should say something, but I I come from the same place, so I'm not going to mention it. I, I did the same mistakes. I can't correct them. This may be wrong at the time that the Lord has delivered you And it's no longer a problem. You're able to see clearly of of the issue. You're able to speak into somebody's life because of what God has already done in you. And now you can help minister to that person. You can pull that piece of dust out of their eye or that speck out of their eye because of what God has already done. The time spent with him, the, the renewing of the mind that you've already experienced. And you shouldn't shy away from that. Or the whole wrong way, as we've been learning tonight, would be looking for wrong in another's life and without consideration of your own 
issues, speaking to them. You see, Jesus wants his disciples ready to minister. Why would he be telling us this otherwise? He wants his disciples to be ready. He wants us to have that clean slate before him. He wants us to be in that place of of continual repentance over sin and, and continued confession of sin in our lives because he has a greater work for us as his followers. And that is to be able to speak boldly his word and to be able to minister through the Spirit's guiding to those he leads us to. And this cannot be done rightly without first examining ourselves, making sure that we are right before the Lord, and then examining our motives as well. In in somewhat of an, it seems like an unrelated verse, Jesus goes on to talk about dogs and hogs. I like how that rhymed. So I had to say it that way. Dogs and hogs. Look at verse 6. It says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So our next example are dogs and hogs. Dogs were despised and and infested the streets of the day. They were a nuisance. And they would go around, they would, you know, eat up whatever was left on the ground and just kind of mill about the city. Uh, You can see this in some, you know, third world countries. You might see it on TV and some documentary. Um, I remember seeing the very thing when I would go down into Mexico, to Baja, Mexico. And um, even when we were in Africa, you would see these dogs kind of floating around. They're not really pets. I remember Kephas talking to us. (laughs) Kephist, our mission, uh, the ministry that we support in Nigeria, you know, like he's always surprised we had Greg and Kathy had Jake as a pet, you know. He loved him, but it was kind of like he was like weirded out at first that, you know, having a dog in the house is so opposite what we think here. But, you know, they were despised in the day. And then hogs, and for the Jewish reader, was an unclean animal, and, and they were only ever known to be half half tamed. They might respond to food, but you don't want to cross them or they can, you know, attack you. And the picture is, is that Jesus is displaying here is that uh, it's the giving of things that are sacred and valuable to those who have no clue as to what you're giving them or who are much less deserving of them or will not receive them uh, based on the value of what you're offering. If that makes sense. So let's look at this a little bit closer. It says, so what's picture is with the dog. The, the verse says, do not give what is holy to dogs. Now there is a little bit of, you know, not knowing what uh, Jesus is referencing to, but many believe that he's referring to the gifts of the sacrifice that were offered upon the altar. And so when these sacrifices were offered at the temple, these would become holy sacrifices. They were approved of by the high priest, uh, clean, pure, spotless sacrifices to atone for one's sins. Now, the, they wouldn't just burn up these whole sacrifices. There was only one sacrifice that was completely consumed. But others that were given 
a portion of the meat went to the, the priests and their family and those that worked the temple. And so these were holy offerings, and, and the priests received those holy cuts of meat after they had been presented as, a, as an offering or as a sacrifice. This was for them. So the idea that we're getting here is that somebody's taking these holy offerings and giving them to dogs. The dogs have no clue what is being offered to them. And they'll just devour it like they would any other, you know, their own vomit even, as the Bible will use to describe dogs. And then the other example that we have here is the hogs. That, you know, it's giving valuable pearls to the hogs. And one commentator mentions that the pearls would look like the corn that they had fed on, these little small pearls. And uh, the hogs, when they discovered that the pearls were not their food, would become vicious and turn sharply and attack, tearing the giver with their tusks. So you see some, you're giving something of value to someone that has no uh, desire for it. They want something else, and, and they actually attack back. So there's... What Jesus is showing is that there's a need for clarity of vision and discernment when we go to minister to others. You see what he's saying here? He's kind of, we have to, we, you just don't go and correct anybody. We have to, first off, be clean and, and ready before him to do the work. But we also have to have discernment from him when we give it, when we give the correction. You can't just take, you know, what is holy and valuable and just thrust it upon any one person because they might not receive it or they could turn an attack in, in those ways. He's, we, the most important thing to understand is that there's a need for clear vision in helping others. Clear vision and discernment. Um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, furthermore, when seeking to help another, one must exercise care to do what would be appreciated and beneficial. One should never entrust holy things or what is sacred to unholy people or dogs. Uh, dogs was also a term that the, the Jews would use for the Gentiles. They would call them Gentile dogs because they were pagan worshipers. They had no, um, no recognition of the holy things that pertain to Yahweh, the God that the Jews served. And, or to throw pearls to pigs. Dogs and pigs were despised. And so what we need to know, and I think that this verse here was what kept ringing in my mind as I was thinking about this as a whole. We're told by Paul to let love be without hypocrisy, to arbor what is evil and cling to what is good. Jesus is leading his disciples in, in ways, in the ways of his kingdom. How to relate to one another, giving warnings against how they have been taught and how to do these things right. It's okay to correct somebody, but it has to be done in the right heart and with our heart right. Jesus' Jesus's disciples are to be self-aware and humble, seeking the best for one another. Paul writes that. Do not look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. Seeking the best for our brother and sisters sometimes involves correction, instruction, or even rebuke. 
that Jesus's words to us is that we need to take a look in the mirror and gaze first at ourselves, making sure that we haven't only been gazing on our brother's issue. And when we have dealt with our issues, we will be able to help another person. And so in a very quick message, that's what I want us to, to leave with today and to continue to meditate upon this because I believe there's more to be gleaned from this than, you know, a 20 or 30 minute recording or message here. Father, I just pray, Lord, over this time that we have. We thank you for your word, Lord. And I pray that you would just uh, search our hearts this evening Lord, to prepare us, Lord, for the ministry that we are going to be doing this week. Um, I'm sure there's a correlation, Lord, that your spirit is working out between uh, the judgment of others, Lord, and, and uh, setting our hearts right to be able to minister correctly, to see clearly, Lord, um, to minister to those that are going through these circumstances this, uh, this week, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you would bless our time that we have now to pray in Jesus' name.